I'm about to switch into chapter 5 of the Gospel of John this morning, and I want to remind you of a couple of things. First off, the Gospel specifically says that it's written that we might know who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the preeminent or the only begotten Son of God, that he is God, and that in trusting him, we might become children of God. So all the things that happen after that moment in the Gospel of John are aimed at that. So I want to remind you that it is aimed that way, that, that, that number two, the children of God might have life and be changed in their daily lives by becoming children of God. And what that means, children of God is sort of shorthand for a whole bunch of things, isn't it? That if you become a child of God, that you are born anew of the Spirit of God. That means the Holy Spirit is inside you. I was having a conversation this week with a believer from another church, and he was talking about his conscience, and I said, wait, 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 wait. You have a conscience, but that conscience, if you're a believer in Jesus, is ruled by the Holy Spirit. So when your conscience starts speaking to you, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. If you're a believer, that's part of becoming a child of God, is that you don't become the self-ruler inside your own life. You say, Lord, I need you in me helping me live this life. And then he does that. Now, the Holy Spirit does more than just act as your conscience. But if you're listening and hearing your conscience and a believer, I want you to consider that a word from the Lord. So what happens when your conscience tells you to do something? You say yes or no. Is that not correct? Let's get in the habit of saying yes to the Holy Spirit. That would be a good thing. So I'm reminding you that we're in the Gospel of John, and the words themselves, the Bible itself, is meant to be read and thought through. And so this morning, I want to ask you a couple questions as I get specifically into this text. Have you ever heard this statement? If you give a man a fish... He'll eat for a day, but if you teach him to fish, he'll eat every day. Have you heard that statement? Which one of them's right? Both. Because if you give a man a fish, he will eat that day. And then if you teach him how to fish, he'll eat for the other days too. That mercy sometimes happens in this way. The text, this, I'm going to bring this up. You know that a lot of people use that little statement as a way of saying you shouldn't be doing mercy ministries to the homeless because you're not teaching them how to how to fish. You know, you're look, if it were only so easy that if we could just teach people how to make their how to how to make money, they'd just all make money and they'd just all have money. If it were only that simple. If the mercy and justice weren't so intertwined in our world that the lack of mercy and the lack of justice sometimes sets people up to where they can't do it yet. Is that true? Have you met people that are being held back, not just by themselves, but by some system within the world around them? I have. 
Sometimes I feel like I'm being held back by the system around me, and I eat pretty well. I'm not fading away. So I want us to keep, a, a, apart from just simplistic, easy readings like, well, if you're feeding them, that's wrong because you should be teaching them how to, how to feed themselves. Well, yes, you should be teaching them how to f- take care of themselves, but sometimes we need, as the people of God, to take care of people. And sometimes that taking care of them involves some instruction on how to do it themselves, and sometimes it doesn't, depending on how mercy instructs us. I set the stage this way specifically because right at the beginning of John chapter 5 is an interesting text, the first nine verses. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethsaida. Now, this is not Bethsaida where Ken takes a bunch of people. This is in Jerusalem, right? This is not the same place. This is inside the gate of Jerusalem. There's a pool with five covered porches. Now, there's been a lot of talk about that, that that's a really rare configuration. They found one in ancient Jerusalem with five gates. And what it had was a a storage pool near a pool where they did ritual cleansing. But this one had some other stuff about it. Anyway, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Um, There's some text here that's not in in uh, in this translation, I just want you to know, did you notice if you read your Bible and you're looking here and it goes chapter three or verse three, verse five in a lot of Bibles. Take that out. Does anybody have their Bible open? Is your Bible doing that right now? Karen's is saying hers is doing that. What it's doing is that some manuscripts, you realize that there's some variations in the manuscripts and some manuscripts have a description of what happens at the pool of Bethsaida which is why they're gathering there for healing. So this is what happens, verse 4. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water, and the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed from whatever disease they had had. That's verse 4. But it's not in all the manuscripts. So this, most of them say, well, it's, it's like, a parenthetical statement is just added there. But this is why they're gathered there. Now, why did I lead off this sermon with the statement about feeding a person or teaching them how to fish? Because if you've got a person that's been sick for 38 years, there's really two ways of reading this. Did you know that there's some community responsibility going on here? If you've got somebody that's been sick for 38 years and he's waiting in line and he keeps waiting in line and he can't move or whatever, I'm not saying that he doesn't want to move or I'm not saying any of that, but he can't get there first and everybody keeps cutting into him for 38 years. At some point, there's probably some community responsibility when the water stirred to get the person into the water. Just somewhere along you know maybe at the 14th year (laughs) you know i I realize you've been sick for a while let's see if we can just make this happen for you 
Does that make sense? But I bring up the teach a man to fish or, or, or give him a fish thing because a lot of people read this and say, look, we have people like this in our communities and they don't really want to get well. And he's there for 38 years and he's making a living doing this waiting around thing. You know, that's really not a living. <laughs> it's not a living, is it? So Jesus walks into the situation, and when Jesus saw him, he knew he'd been ill for a long time, and he asked him, would you like to get well? Now, let me ask you for a second. Do you have some area of your life that you're waiting on to get into the stirred waters? And maybe, maybe you don't have any way to get to the healing or you can't get there. Somebody keeps cutting in or you don't trust it or maybe it doesn't work or whatever. Do you have some spot in your life where you're sitting there going, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and I can't get in? I heard a yeah. Is there more than one yeah in here? I've, I've, had, I've had some yeahs in my life and I've got one, a couple of them right now. I want you to hear this. Would you like to get well? Yes. Would you like to be better? Well, what does it take to be better in the Christian viewpoint? Now, in this, the story goes, I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. This is not just about the sick and the lame sitting by a pool in ancient Jerusalem. It is about that. But it's also about us because we spend time not able to get into this spot or not trusting or not doing. And by the way, I want to make sure that you don't hear me say that people aren't healed because they don't want it. Or people are only healed when they want it bad enough. Jesus heals dead people. Dead people don't want things anymore. People heal, Jesus heals people from a distance without their response. And in this case, he doesn't really ask the question, would you like to get healed? And he doesn't get a yes or a no, does he? Well, there's this problem I've got. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. The story goes like this. In all our human experience, it's so often that we end up waiting for somebody, some healing, some some door to open, all this stuff, and we're waiting, and sometimes the door opens and sometimes it doesn't that reality sometimes it does sometimes we're waiting for people to do it sometimes we're waiting for us to do it sometimes we're not here's the thing of the christian life and the reason why the reminder is is that the whole gospel of john is taught so that we might know that jesus is the son of god and then he came so that we might also be children of god and live this way whether the door's opened or not, sometimes God interrupts the system and fixes it. 
Sometimes he doesn't. But it's not about our faith. It's about the act of God in our lives. But what happens if God acts in your life and he heals this moment, but you don't actually change your life? What if the man hadn't got up and rolled up his mat and walked away? He said, but I've been laying here for 38 years. This is the momentum I've got. I got healed, but I still want to lay here. That's just idiotic. (laughs) It is. Do you want to be better? Have you... The first Sunday of the new year when some people have made New Year's resolutions, and I'm very famous for saying New Year's resolutions last about 14 days. So we're halfway through them (laughs) making it because on the human condition, we can do about 14 days on our own, and then we go back to whatever the momentum of our lives have had. But it takes 90 days to create a lasting change. And so we're 76 days short on our own. And we need God to interrupt. We're 38 years on the mat at the, tour, at the pool of Siloam on our own. We don't have anybody to get us there. But Jesus comes into our lives to make us children like this. And sometimes, you know that 20% of the Gospels is just flat about healing? I mean, it, just physical healing. 20% is Jesus just healing people. And not all of them have lasting life change. You might need physical healing. Me too. There might be something in your life that just ain't right. And it needs God to reach in and change it. Will that change your life? Yes, so the, so the response was, if it doesn't change your life, then you're blind. But on our own, we don't change momentum very easily in our lives. And physical healing, which is fabulous, is this. And I want to say that it's not quite so simple as he was unable and the community didn't do anything. Sometimes we as people read that person is there and it's their fault and we don't do anything and sometimes we do stuff and it doesn't work and we all get jaded and sometimes believers don't do anything because sometimes it doesn't work and we don't want it pointed out that it didn't work when we were involved yeah i hear nervous laughter experience coming up all this stuff Sometimes there's some community responsibility in the healing of individuals. And our lack of doing it requires God to act in ways that point it out. Sometimes personal responsibility doesn't get done and God has to act and point that out. Sometimes God doesn't always heal our physical ailments. So the question that the text 
is asking from my standpoint today is this. Do you want to get well? And if you were given healing, would you then change your life? Because they're not necessarily A then B in everybody's life. I know a lot of people that say a sinner's prayer and have no lasting life change. And how does that happen? God has reached into your life. He came near. You recognized he was near. And you said he was Lord. And then you didn't make him Lord in your life. How does the community of Christ respond to that? Well, part of our reason of being stronger in God and abounding in the Spirit is to be a body of people around that help those decisions get made and kept. And oh, by the way, to be really good examples of how to get up after you've fallen. So sometimes our fall is necessarily visible. I was actually talking about this in my Sunday school class today with the middle schoolers. Have you ever done something wrong and actually kept it secret? Let me ask you this question. When you do something wrong in your house, doesn't everybody else in the house pretty soon know that you've done something? They might not know everything about it, but they know you did something. It's not actually a secret. (laughs) Okay, now let's move outside of the human realm for a second. When you did something wrong, didn't God actually just see it? Doesn't he know it? There's no getting away with it. But those who come to Christ know that they come into the light to show God that everybody around them that they're doing what God wants. That's John 3.21. Everybody already knows. None of us are pure and white in this thing. But do we want to get better? What happens with this man next is next week's sermon. But even then, we don't know how much life change he had because he picked up his mat and walked. Do we as his people want to get better? Well, how do you do that? Yes, sir. Salvation through grace and faith, right? God acts. God acts. The beginning. To do God's work. Does God's acting in your life create good habits all on its own? No. How do we do that? We practice, we fall, we get up. We, I personally learned the, the most, this, this, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you, Greg, but I'm, <laughs> here, I'll pick on me. Do you know how I learned how to say I was sorry the most, or the best? By blowing it and having to say I was sorry and going, oh, I guess I'm not perfect. But, but God acts in our life and the and, and we become his people. 
instantaneously were his people, but the habits and the work of it, of following and listening to his spirit is something that we do with him inside of us because it requires him to act first. And we need him to act first, and he acts first. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love. I thank you that your word is meant to challenge everything out of us, that we wouldn't be like Naaman in the Old Testament, Lord, who, who when told, just go dip in the river seven times, wouldn't go, don't I have cleaner rivers at home? That we do the obedience factor as well recognizing you at work, that we want to be better. Amen.